Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you this morning. Thank you for inviting us into your home again. I miss you, and I wish that we could be together, and I'm looking forward to the day that we can. But in the meantime, we are going to continue to do what we always do and allow God's Word to satiate our souls, allow God's Word to deepen our roots and faith in Jesus, to calm our fears and calm our anxieties. We're going to do that just like we do every single week as we study the Bible. And the topic today is the coronavirus. Is, is it an omen? Is it, is it a part of biblical prophecy? Is this whole COVID-19 thing have anything to do about the end times? And all these topics of conversation started as soon as the virus hit American shores. As soon as that happened, the entire Christian church went underground. <laughs> we've been on live stream, we've been on Facebook Live, some churches are doing it on Zoom video meetings, some churches aren't meeting at all because they're not able to or they're not interested in doing it like, like this, but there are no public meetings. Church pastors are being arrested for having their church meetings still. And so the question is, is does any of this have to do with the with the end times, does this have to do with biblical prophecy at all? And I've been reading lots of people's opinions about that. I read one person's blog that said absolutely yes, that the things that we see are showing us that we are in the middle of the tribulation. And that had thousands of views and many comments on that article. And then I read another Christian article, and it said that this has nothing to do with the Bible at all. And so you have these two extremes on one extreme, they say, yes, you better be worried. We are in the apocalypse right now. Get ready. And then on the other side, it's don't worry about it at all. This has nothing to do with the Bible at all. And somewhere in between is where we sit. What does any of this have to do with the Bible? Does this fit into the end times at all? Is the coronavirus a, a biblical omen about the things of the future, or is it not? Is this prophecy? And as soon as I ask that question, I know what quickly comes to your mind. What quickly comes to your mind is, no, you can't find COVID-19 in the Bible. You can't find the word coronavirus anywhere in the Bible. And that's absolutely true. But think of the flip side of that coin. This has got to be the most apocalyptic thing that we've ever experienced, isn't it? This, this is, this sounds like something that you would read about in the Bible. Uh, large cities that are busy and loud being silenced because nobody is around. Uh, things that, that are very mundane being hoarded because we're not sure we're, when we're going to get it again. Food being sold out of stores. Even the basics, beans, rice, flour, macaroni and cheese. <laughs> macaroni and cheese is one of the four food groups. Okay, beans, rice, flour, pasta being sold out at the store, lines outside of stores and trying to get inside. It sounds like something that would happen in, in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Mormon uh, prepping companies, did you know that Mormons are planning on living through the tribulation, on living through these perilous times, and they are fully prepared for it? That they, There are Mormon companies that canned food that are all about preparing for 
for uh, uh, terrible times in the future. And these Mormon companies are completely sold out, not because of more Mormons are trying to prep for these things. Mormons are already prepped. They already have a year of food already in their houses. But the entire world is realizing, whoa, this is the most apocalyptic things that we have ever experienced, and we need to get ready for something we don't even know what we're getting ready for. And so what is going on? What, what is happening? Is this a part of our future? Is this signs of the times and signs of the future? Or is it not? Well, today is going to be our biblical answer to these questions. Interestingly, you are not the first one to answer those questions. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit more relieved. You're not the only one to answer these questions. You're not the first ones either. Did you know that Jesus' closest followers asked these same questions of Jesus? Let me show it to you in Matthew 24, verse 3. And this is what it says. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And then what will be the sign of the end of the age? Jesus' closest followers wanted to know the signs. The signs of when he came back, it was going to come back as king. The signs of the apocalypse. The signs of the end of the world. And Jesus did not answer their question with something uh, like, stop, stop worrying about it. He didn't say that. Jesus answered them with a very thorough answer. And his answer is what we're going to be studying today. It is known as the Olivet Discourse. And let me read to you Jesus' answer to their question about his return and the end of the world. He said this, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and many will mislead you. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And so this is Jesus' answer to their question, what about the end? What are the signs of the apocalypse? And so he, he lays out this timeline in what's going to happen. And so for me, a timeline works better when I can see it visually and not just verbalized. And so let me show you this timeline that Jesus lays out for his closest followers. 
As you kind of read it left to right, you have Jesus. And Jesus' death on the cross, he raises from the grave. And when he does that, hundreds of people see him. They knew he died on the cross, and now they see him alive again, and they change their mind about who Jesus is. They put their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Savior. They believe that he's the Messiah, and they start to group together, gather together in what is known as a church. And so that's why this era is called the church age, and we are still living in that era of Christians who meet together to worship Jesus Christ. That is where we are. Now, this era will end, but we don't know when it will end. We don't know how long this era is going to be. It has now been 2,000 years, and it may be longer. But this era will end, and it will end with the rapture of the church. The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes back halfway, stays in the sky, and he takes all Christians, both those who are alive and the Christians who have died, and he, he resurrects their bodies. So just like Jesus was resurrected on the third day, so too Christians will be resurrected, and they will be given a glorified body, meaning the body will no more sin, it won't cry anymore, and it won't die anymore, no more worrying about the coronavirus or anything like that. And that ends the church age, and it begins another time, the tribulation time. Biblically, we know that that time is exactly seven years. We know exactly how long that time period is. And during that time, there will be... A, amazing catastrophes. There will be judgments on the world like the world has never known before. The Antichrist will be brutal to Christians all during the seven-year tribulation time. And that period ends when Jesus Christ returns as the Messiah, the second advent, him coming not as a baby this time, coming as a king. And he sits on his throne, and all the Christians that were living during that tribulation time period will move right into his kingdom, the millennial kingdom of a thousand years. Those people who are not Christians at that point in time will be judged for their works, and it will turn out that their works were not good enough. They were not holy, it turns out, and they will be sent to eternal judgment in hell, and then Jesus will live, in, and Jesus will reign as king of the entire world, president of the entire world, during the millennium for a thousand years. And so this is what Jesus lines, uh, paints the picture for them in this way. And Jesus mentions a list of birth pangs and then two signs of his return. And so here are some of the birth pangs that Jesus mentions, uh, worldwide catastrophes like world wars and famines and earthquakes, uh, then the persecution of Christians, both Jew and Gentile, uh, false believers abandon their Christianity, and then the, the atrocities during the tribulation time period, and ultimately the gospel will be communicated to the entire world as a, as a message of hope and a message of a mercy and a message of, of grace. But all of these things are not signs of his return. All of these things are birth pangs. That's the, those are the fra that's the phrase that Jesus used. He compares all of these things leading up to the wonderful day of Jesus' return as birth pangs. He, he correlates them to the, a, a woman who's pregnant that's about to give birth. Now, I can remember the day that my kids, Caleb and Noel, were born it was an awesome day. I can, I can remember those days. You can too, the day that your kids were born. It was a, it was a, it was a great day. 
And ever since then, being a dad has been very good for me. It has changed who I am being their dad. But the birth pains, I, I don't even want to know about. <laughs> I, I don't even like it when Tanya tries to tell me what they were. I don't even want to know <laughs> about how bad they were. Every woman has pains leading up to their birth. And what's interesting about the birth, there's a wonderful day of the birth. But all of those pains didn't just happen like one hour surrounding the birth. They started an hour before that, and two hours before that, and five hours before that, and sometimes three days before that. Did you know that a woman's body takes months to prepare itself to give birth to the baby? Some women experience birth pains months before the childbirth. And they start to, they start one, just one far apart from the next one, and they don't really hurt very bad. It's just, it's, it's a little pain, and then it gets worse and worse. It increases in its intensity, and it increases in its frequency all the way until the day of birth where its intensity is, is high and its frequency is close, and that is when the baby is born, and then that wonderful baby uh, comes, and the family is so excited about the day of birth. And just like that, it will be a wonderful day when Jesus Christ returns as Messiah. That will be such a wonderful day. But the world will go through an ever-increasing amounts of birth pangs, ever-increasing painful days and events that are leading up to this wonderful day. And so the question is, does any of this have anything to do with the coronavirus? Does the coronavirus fit anywhere into this? Well, let's go back and look at some of the birth pangs that Jesus mentions. First, he says that there are going to be worldwide catastrophes, world wars, famines, earthquakes. Now, we already know that some of these birth pangs have already begun, haven't they? We've already seen worldwide wars. Famine is increasing, not decreasing. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe last time you went to the store, they had the food that you were looking for. The World Health Organization has had a goal to have zero hunger by the year 2030. And yet, it, had ju it has just come out with an article to say that that has been delayed because in the last three years, hunger has increased not decreased, particularly in South America and in Africa. Their hunger is, is getting worse, not better, and so the 23 date has been pushed out further into the future. Earthquakes, not just wars, not just famines, but earthquakes. Did you know that there have been more major earthquakes in the last hundred years than there have been in the last thousand years? And you might say, well, of course that's the case because we have better equipment to be able to find all of those little small earthquakes. We're only talking about large ones, ones that everyone could feel, ones that would have been documented, documented a thousand years ago, ones that would have been documented 2,000 years ago. There, are been way, there have been way more in the last hundred years than in the last thousand years. And then this article from, the, from NBC News came out, and the title of the article is worldwide surge in great earthquakes seen in the past 10 years. There have been more large earthquakes in the last 10 years than in the previous 100, and then there have been more in the last 100 than in the previous 1,000, ever increasing 
ever intensifying of these birth pangs as they're leading closer and closer to that wonderful day of Jesus Christ returning. And so Jesus mentions some other birth pangs too. Remember, these are birth pangs leading up to his return. This is not about the rapture. There are no pains for the rapture. There are no cues or signs for the rapture. And these are not signs of his return. These are merely birth pains leading up to the signs. But let's see what else he talks about. He also talks about Christians being persecuted, both Jews and Gentiles. And this will, of course, happen significantly during the tribulation time period, but it's already happening today. Did you know more Christians are being killed today than any time in history? Did you know that? More than any time in history, Christians are being killed all around the world, not just in one particular country and not just in one particular situation. You might wonder, why, why haven't I ever heard about this before? Because nobody cares. That's why. Ever-increasing, ever-intensifying. Another one that Jesus mentions is false believers abandoning Christianity. This is primarily going to happen during the tribulation time period because in that seven-year tribulation time period, if you are a Christian, you will die. The, 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 the goal of the Antichrist is to kill all the Jews and to kill the Christians that are helping the Jews. And so if you're a Christian, uh, there is going to be a bounty on your head. And so if you're kind of a if you don't really identify with Jesus, you just go to church because you kind of enjoy the fellowship and you like the donuts and it's just what you've always done and it's kind of comfortable for you and, and it just seems like the right thing to do, you are going to distance yourself as far from Christianity as possible during the tribulation time period and that, of course, will happen. And then Jesus describes the, the, the human toll that is taken during the tribulation time, the the, 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 the death that occurs during the tribulation time period will be unlike any other time that we have ever experienced. Those are the words that Jesus uses. And then he says that the gospel is going to be communicated to the entire world. God's grace, even during the most tragic time in human history, is a time for Jesus to say one last time, it's coming Please be ready. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But Jesus makes it clear that all of these things are not signs of his coming back. There are merely birth pangs that are ramping up to these things. And so as each one of these increases in their intensity and increases in their frequency, it's going to peak in that seven-year tribulation time right before the return of Jesus Christ. And so Revelation chapter 6 it's just one of the examples of how, how, how peaked that this is going to get. I want to show this to you in Revelation 6, 8. Look at what it's going to be like during the tribulation time period. It says, I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. Authority was given to them, obviously the horse and the rider. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And so in this judgment, the, these birth pangs that have been ramping up have gotten so severe, so intensified, and so close together, that in this one moment, one-fourth of the entire world is going to die. 25% of the entire world is going to die. 
Two billion people will die in just this one moment in time. They're going to die in four ways. Do you catch the four ways? First is going to be killed with a sword. Probably a better way to say this in our modern vernacular would be killed by other people, whether it be by government or it be by mobs or gangs that are running the streets that would kill anybody to get their car, to get what they had, to get their food, killed by other people. But that's not the only way that you're going to die during the tribulation. A fourth of the world is going to die either by being killed by other people or then killed in a famine, meaning there's not enough food at a grocery store. Does that sound familiar to you? And then another way the third way that you would die during this point in time would be pestilence. Now, I bet that you don't know what pestilence means. And so let me read to you the Webster's definition, and then you tell me if you can identify with pestilence. Here's what pestilence is. It is a contagious or infectious epidemic disease. A contagious or infectious epidemic disease. Just like the coronavirus, but deadlier. Because remember, a quarter of the world is going to die from other people, from famine, from something like the coronavirus. It might be a virus, it might be bacterial. We don't know exactly what that pestilence is going to be. And then fourthly, a quarter of the world will die from those three things, plus wild beasts of the earth. Wild animals are going to take over cities, and they are going to kill people in those cities. I, I know that sounds absolutely unbelievable. Now, I mean, I believe the, Bi <laughs> I believe the Bible. I, I, I believe it just because it's the Bible. I believe it to be true. But it, it's hard for, for you to imagine that, that wild animals are going to take over and start to kill people in significant numbers until I read this article just this last week. Look at this. This is from Live Science Magazine, and the title of the article is Starving Monkey Gangs Battle in Thailand as Coronavirus Keeps Tourists Away. What, what has occurred here is everyone has shut themselves up in their house. There are no tourists anywhere, and so nobody is feeding the monkeys. And so the monkeys are fighting each other for food. And if some tourist holding a donut walks out of that, walks out of that building right behind them, and they have a donut in their hand, those monkeys most likely would kill that person for that donut. And so what seemed unfathomable a month ago, we are now seeing happen right in front of us. And so is COVID-19, is the, is the coronavirus a sign that we are in the tribulation time? Based on what we just read, absolutely not. Absolutely not. One quarter of the world is, two billion people. There will be more dead bodies than you could bury for, for years from this one event in the tribulation time period. And here we are talking of the coronavirus where 99.9% .9 of the world's population is going to come out of this just fine. And so is this a sign that we are in the tribulation? No. 
Is this a sign, though, that we are, that this is one of the things, that one of the birth pangs that is going to be slow and, and, and increasing over time? There'll be another virus and another something, another medical issue, and it get worse and worse over time? Could be. I don't know. It would make sense. Jesus does say that the pestilence that occurs right before Jesus comes back, the pestilence in that last seven years that is terrible and kills up to two billion people, that pestilence doesn't just start right then, that there is a ramping up of it, that there's a running start, that there are birth pains that lead up to the, the terribleness there that will be less and less terrible as it goes back in, in history. And so it's certainly possible. I don't know, but it could be. Let's get back to what Jesus says. This is the list of, of birth pains that Jesus gives so far. And, and then we finally get to the two signs. The two signs. Sign number one that Jesus Christ is returning right now is everything goes dark. Sun, moon goes out. Uh, the stars go out. It is completely pitch black all around the entire world. No matter where you are, there are no shadows anywhere in the entire world. Everything goes dark. And in case you miss that, in case you happen to be blind or something, in case you miss that part, then the entire universe is going to shake. This isn't just some small regional earthquake, you know, where we get a, a big one. 7.0 on the San Andreas Fault. It's not just that. It's not just Southern California earthquake. It's not where uh, the entire West Coast just falls into the Pacific Ocean. This isn't something just on the Pacific Rim. This is, isn't just the entire earth shaking. The entire universe is going to shake. It is going to feel something unlike anybody has ever experienced before. Everything goes dark. And the entire universe shakes, and then the promises from Jesus that whoever is alive to see all of these things occur, that generation, those people, will see Jesus return. Now, how, how are they going to see him return if it's all dark? His glory is going to come out of heaven and will give light to the entire world, and everyone will know that Jesus has come to planet earth. Those are the signs. And so now back to our timeline for a little bit here. Remember, there are absolutely no signs leading up to the rapture. None. We don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen now. It could happen now. Or it could happen a thousand years from now. There are no signs for the rapture. All of these are ramping up. All of these are birth pangs and then signs for Jesus' return as Messiah after the tribulation is over. And so if you're a Christian, you might ask the question, who cares? If all of this isn't for me, if I'm going to be raptured and none of this matters to me, then who cares? If this is just ramping up to the tribulation, I won't even be here for that. So who cares? Remember, women have birth pangs. 
Remember, if there are signs that get really bad here and there is a ramping up of them over a long period of time, if you stand before this point in time, there is certainly a possibility that you are going to experience the, the running start. You are going to experience the, the, the birth pangs as they get worse and worse leading up to his return. Here's another way of saying it, maybe in, a, in an idea that I can kind of understand a little more, that the, the, the signs of Independence Day, the signs of July 4th are obvious. There are lots of things that are leading up to July 4th, like they sell flags at Costco in 7-Eleven. When you see that, 4th of July is, is coming. <laughs> when you hear the patriotic songs on the radio, July 4th is coming. Independence Day is, is coming. Uh, when when uh, you see the fireworks stands in San Bernardino and everybody is lined up at the fireworks stand. They're all people from Riverside, I think. Lined up at those fireworks stands in San Bernardino. As soon as you see that, you know Independence Day is coming. As soon as it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and all of a sudden, boom! And then all these strings of fireworks start going off at 2 a.m. All the firecrackers and bottle rockets go off at 2 a.m. We're getting close. Things are ramping up. The, the, The more fireworks there are at night, you know you're getting closer and closer and closer to July 4th. So there are lots of signs that July 4th is coming. But... There are no signs that my anniversary is coming. My anniversary is one month before July 4th, and there is absolutely no signs of my anniversary coming. None. There are no anniversary songs on the radio. There is no one at Costco reminding me of my anniversary. There is no one at 7-Eleven reminding me of my anniversary. There is no one asking me, hey, what are you going to do for your anniversary? There is none of that. There are all these signs for July 4th, and they come, they, you can see it coming. And, but there are no signs of my anniversary. And so what I've learned to do is as soon as I hear the booms at 2 a.m. in the morning, I know, uh-oh, <laughs> my anniversary is close. I better get ready. When I hear the booms, I know, uh-oh, we're about a month out. It's about time for my anniversary. <laughs> I better think about something to do. There are lots of signs for July 4th. There are no signs for my anniversary, but all of the signs for July 4th lead me to realize, oh, my anniversary is close in the same way. There are, no, there, there are lots of signs for Jesus' second coming. They are, are ramping up. They're getting a running start. Jesus calls them birth pangs. But there are no signs for the rapture at all. But if you're living during this time, you're certainly going to experience the birth pangs that are coming along the road. And so, where does the coronavirus fit into all of these things? Are we in the apocalypse? Let's go back to the the slide for a second. Let's go back to our timeline for a second. And so are we in the apocalypse? Are we here at the end of the world after Jesus comes back? No, we are not there yet. Jesus has not returned for his millennial kingdom. He is not sitting on the Davidic throne yet. And so are we in the tribulation time period like the article that I read? No, we are not. 
We are not experiencing all of the things that we have been told we experienced during the tribulation time period. The rapture has not occurred yet. We are not there yet. And so, does, does, COVID, I, does COVID-19, is that a sign that Jesus is going to return quickly? No, it's not. But then you ask, well, is COVID-19 one of these, one of these slow birth pangs? They're starting off slow and will intensify over a period of time and another virus will come and another virus will come. Well, that's certainly possible. It could be. Let's get back to what Jesus says. Jesus Jesus finishes with a little parable. He finishes this off with a little parable that maybe he won't quite connect with. In Matthew 24, verse 32, it says this. It says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. So this is a parable, a story about a tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. And you look at that and you're like, what? Does a tree have to do with anything that we've talking, talked about? Remember, the tree is just symbolic of something. It's an illustration. And it's an illustration that God's promises are just as reliable as the laws of nature. God's promises, in all that we have talked about today, are just as reliable as the laws of nature. Okay? And so, we have this fig tree. And the fig tree when its branches start to put forth its leaves, when it starts to blossom, it starts to bloom, you know that summer is near. That, that's the law's nature. That's, that's just the way that it is. It happens every single year the exact same way. Every single time you see the blossom, the summer is near. Every single time you see a blossom, you start putting on your shorts because it's going to be 115 degrees outside. You see the blossoms, summer is near. that happens every single year, reliable, all of the time. And so Jesus says, so too. Just like that, just like the fig tree is reliable, so too, when you see all these things, meaning everything that we've read in Matthew 24, including the sun going out and the earth shaking, so too, when you see these things, he's near, he is right at the door. Jesus is going to come back. And the promise is that that generation, the generation who sees all of the things that we read in Matthew 24, including the lights going out and the earth shaking, they are going to see Jesus Christ return as King, as a Messiah on that great day. It is promised just as a tree when it blossoms, you know summer's right around the corner. When you see those things, it is equally reliable that God will keep his promise and Jesus will return too. And so the purpose of me teaching you these things is not to get your heart stirred up and start to worry. My goal is to settle your heart. You see how God has everything planned together already? He already has all things planned. He's not going to just change his mind all of a sudden one day and say, oh, you know, I'm just going to start the apocalypse with the coronavirus instead. God already has these things planned out, and he is not going to change his mind. If he was going to change his mind, he would have held off on writing the Bible until he would have had his mind made up, or he would not have included anything in the Bible about it at all. But because it is written in God's word about his plans and the ways that they will be implemented, 
His promises are reliable. Exactly the way that it's going to be. And so that's why, Grace, we encourage you to read your Bible every single day. That's why we encourage you to memorize the Bible, particularly God's promises. That's why we encourage you to listen whenever the Bible is being taught because it grounds us to the promises of God that he will keep his promises no matter what we imagine other things to be. God is reliable in his promises. And he has promised all of these things as we have described them to today. And so is coronavirus in the Bible? You already know you can't find the word in there. Is, is the coronavirus, is, is this some omen for our future? Is, is, this, is, is Jesus going to come back? Is this the end of the world right now? No. But is this, a, is, is this a part of the ramping up? Is this a part of the birth pangs that are going to get us to the atrocities of the seven-year tri- tribulation, but really the, the wonderful day that Jesus returns? Is, is that what the coronavirus is? Is just one of the many things that are getting... Uh, that are moving us in that direction? I don't know. There's nothing in the Bible that would say that it's not that. Personal opinion, if it looks like a duck and it, it sounds like a duck, maybe it's a duck. And so though there are things that we do not know about the coronavirus, there is something that I do know. I, I do know that this has been good for our world The coronavirus has been good for humanity. And I want to show you three reasons why it has been good for humanity. First, it's been good because people are beginning to consider their own mortality. Everybody is vulnerable. Everybody's body is vulnerable. Every single time CNN puts another news story out about a a young teenager that is diagnosed with the coronavirus, Every single time a 45-year-old man who is married and has kids dies from the coronavirus, every single time an 80-year-old patient is in ICU, we can identify with that. We put ourselves in those situations and we begin to realize that we could have our life cut short just like they did. And the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, says that that is a good thing. It is a good thing to consider our mortality. Let me show it to you in Ecclesiastes 7. This is what he says. He says, The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Why is that? Why is going to someone's funeral better than going to a birthday party? Why is that? Because, he says, because that, meaning death, is the end of every man and woman. And the living at a funeral takes godly things to heart. And here we are. Here we are during a crisis where we are considering our own mortality. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This isn't the psalmist, this is Jesus that says this. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What good is it if you have everything and yet you lose your soul? If you put this in the idea or in the world that we are living in today with the coronavirus, this is, this is a, a good interpretation. For what will it profit a man or a woman if he survives the coronavirus and yet forfeits his soul? What good does it do them if, they, if their life is saved but they lose their soul? 
And so people are beginning to consider their mortality, and that is a very good thing. Secondly, people are beginning to realize that their way of life is not guaranteed. Did you know that our way of life is not guaranteed? I have not met one single person that was planning to take everything off their Google Calendar, to just wipe their calendar clean. I've not met a single person. If I would have told you that you need to completely empty your you need to stop everything, stay at home, no more kids at school, no more sporting events, no, no more going to work, no more going on vacation, nothing, you must stay in your home or else you die, you would have said, that's impossible, I pick death. I know you would have told me that. And yet, look at where you're living today. We're beginning to realize that our life, the way that we know it is, isn't guaranteed at all. The psalmist says this, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely, every man at his best is a mere breath. The way of life that we have been living, the cars that we drive, the jobs that we've had, the friends that we've had at school, the uh, the experiences that we've had in, in love and friendship with our family or at Grace Community Church, all of those things are not guaranteed. They are all a gift of God's grace in our life, and it's about time that we should thank God for those things. You know, we don't really know what we have until we miss it. Speaking of our calendar, this is what James says about our calendar. He says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you, don't know, you do not know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. You're making all these plans. Your Google Calendar is so full you can't even keep track of it. You need it on a digital form. And you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You didn't even know what you were going to do tomorrow. As soon as Governor Newsom said, you aren't going to work tomorrow. As soon as your school principal said, you're not going to school tomorrow. As soon as your boss said, you aren't coming to work tomorrow. You, you had no idea that those things were going to happen. You have no idea that the life and the way of life that we have is not guaranteed at all. And so then James finishes in James 4, where he says, you are, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, he says, this is what we ought to say. If the Lord wills, we'll live. And if the Lord wills, we'll also do this or that. Our way of life is not guaranteed. And now's the time to be thanking God for the, for the life that we have had, the way of life that we have had, and the way of life that we have today. So people are considering their own mortality. People are realizing that their way of life isn't guaranteed. And thirdly, people are way more receptive to Jesus in a crisis. People are way more receptive to Jesus in a crisis. And that has been a good thing. I submit to you the thief on the cross. Now you remember from a week and a few days ago on Good Friday, Jesus was on a cross. There was a thief that was being crucified to his right and a thief that was being crucified on his left. Two other prisoners. 
And neither of these thieves had ever considered the claims of Jesus at all. And I bet they'd probably laughed at Jesus, thought he was some goofball that, uh, that has, was just making a name for himself. He had never considered the claims of Jesus until the crisis comes. He is on his deathbed. He is going to die. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That is him saying, I recognize your claims of being God in the flesh. I recognize your claims of being the king, of being the Messiah. And Jesus' response to him was not, nope, you didn't live a good life. Nope, you were a bad dude. Nope, it's too late. His answer was, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus will save anybody who changes their mind about him. Jesus will save anyone who changes their mind about him. Even if they are on their deathbed, I would not encourage you to wait until your deathbed because you don't even know if you will be conscious on your deathbed. But Jesus will save anybody who changes their mind about him. doesn't matter the things that you've done in your past. doesn't matter the, the things that you think you've hidden from God in your past. And once they come out, there's no way that God would ever save you. God knows everything that you've done. And yet, he promises to save you. He died on the cross for you. And so people are way more receptive to Jesus in a crisis. And this is probably the best aspect of the coronavirus in our world today. And so if you're a Christian today, if you're sitting there and, and you kind of known most of these things that we've talked about today, and you though have a friend or family member or a coworker who you know is not a Christian and needs Jesus, they're more receptive now than they ever have before. Don't stop being a light to them. Don't stop being evangelical. Now's the time where they need to hear about Jesus and your confidence and your, um, and your, your settledness in the things that are happening because of your faith in Jesus. They need to hear that now more than ever. If you've been praying for a friend or a family member or a coworker that they would be saved, this coronavirus could be an answer to your prayer that they are more sensitive and more receptive to the things of Jesus than ever before. So don't give up on them now. Now's the time to be praying for them. Now's the time to be communicating with them more than you ever have before. Now, there might be someone that's watching today that you realize that if Jesus were to come back and to take all the Christians off of planet Earth, you might realize, I'm not going. You might realize, I'm not sure if I would really go. Did you know that you can know? The Bible says, these things I've written to you who believe in the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you know that you can know that Jesus will take you to heaven when you die? You can know it. And now, it's possible that you have come to church. It's possible that you've given money to a church. It's possibly possible that you're a really good person. You've done some really nice things for, for people. But those things don't get you to heaven. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. You're not perfect. Now, neither am I. <laughs> but you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, or a bunch of not perfect people. But that's a problem because we can't go to heaven when we're not perfect. The Bible says the wages of sin, of not being perfect, the wages of missing the mark, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And so if you've ever sinned even one time, like when you were three years old and you disobeyed your mom, yeah, like that time, that all of a sudden made you unholy. You were less than righteous. And so now, all of a sudden, 
You, have, you cannot get to heaven on your own. You are not good enough. But that's the good news of Jesus. Jesus is God that came to earth in the flesh. That was his claim, that he was God, the second person of the Trinity. You know, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' claim, that he was God that came to earth in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time. And so when he goes to the cross, he's not dying for his sin. He's dying for mine. And he's dying for years too. Three days later, he rises from the grave, proving that he is God to everybody who had seen him die just three days earlier. Now he raises from the grave. He proves that he's God. And people start to believe in him because they saw it with their own eyes. And so now do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? A Christian is a person who changes their mind about Jesus. Believes these things about him being God and dying on the cross for your sins and raising from the grave. And to become a Christian, to know that you're going to heaven when you die, to know that you'll be raptured off of planet earth when Jesus Christ comes back. You don't have to come to a church. You don't have to talk to a religious person. All you have to do is talk to God. And you can do that right where you're sitting today, watching this or listening to this. You don't need to say anything out loud, just even in the quietness of your own mind and in the quietness of your own heart. You can say, God, I, I believe all those things. I, be, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've missed the mark. I know I haven't been holy. And so now I realize that I need a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he rose from the grave when, after he died on the cross for my sin. And I put my eternity into his hands. I put my life into into his hands. And as soon as you change your mind, as soon as you believe in Jesus, the promise is that the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of you. And that's an interesting thing. The Bible describes that as a promise, as a seal, as a guarantee that he will take your soul to heaven when you die. So I want you to consider these things before Jesus. Consider these things. This is the time. You know, things are, things are ramping up. And things are getting close. And now's the time to say, whoa, be, be ready. The, the, the rapture is right around the corner as things are starting to ramp up. Things are getting closer. There are no signs for the rapture. There are signs for the end, but, but be ready. Your anniversary is close. Don't get caught without a gift. I want you to be ready for the rapture. I want you to change your mind about who Jesus is. I hope you would consider these things before him. We're going to close in prayer here. Dear God, I thank you so much for the promises that you made. I thank you that your promises are as reliable as the laws of nature, that we can look forward to the time when you do take us to heaven, when we can look forward to the time where you accomplish everything that we've learned about today. We thank you that we can be settled in knowing that all of these things in the coronavirus are in your hands. We can be settled in knowing that none of this surprises you. And in some way, even if we don't understand it all, all of this is a part of your plan, about part of your program for our world. So God, we lift up those people who are sick today. We pray for your comfort in their life. I lift up those people who are serving as nurses and doctors in hospitals that you would help them in, in their own compassionate care of people. I pray that you would protect their own families in a situation like this too. God, we lift up the scientists that you would impart your supernatural wisdom, your supernatural uh, understanding of biology and chemistry in, in their addressing of this virus. And God, I lift up the government, our mayor, 
our governor, our president, that you would give them your wisdom in knowing how to address these things. But God, we don't rest assured in any of these people. We rest assured in you, and that's why we come to you in prayer. We thank you that we can do that and that you keep your promises in all of these things. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.